Well, if you want to turn in your Bibles, we're going to continue our study in Romans chapter 5. We'll, um, <laughs> we'll, we'll get to a prayer in, in just a minute. I'm going to go ahead and, and give you the verses first. I, I love this passage of scriptures. I love the book of Romans. Romans is an incredible book, as are really all of the Pauline epistles, but there's just something different about the book of Romans. I, I realize the first three chapters of the book of Romans, they're a little bit in your face. They're like some of the other Pauline epistles. He ain't worried about your feelings when he's teaching. He wasn't worried about nobody's feelings when he was writing. As we studied to, in the letters to the church at Corinth, um, he doesn't mind clipping somebody's wings. He doesn't mind setting things in order. And he doesn't mind calling a spade a spade. And in the first three chapters of Romans, he, he gives a little bit of instructions, a little bit of teaching. There's a little bit of wing clipping. But when you get into that fourth chapter, and really for the next few chapters right here, but certainly in four and five and on into six, he spends a lot of time, the Holy Spirit, I say Paul, and Paul did. Paul is the hand that wrote it, but the Holy Spirit is, is the one that put it together. And the Holy Spirit is the one that gave us the teaching through the hand of Paul. And, and what the Holy Spirit gives us here in, in these two or three chapters right here that we're in. He gives us the ability to understand what it means that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So that's more than just a statement. He gives us all of the teaching and all the surrounding. Before he actually gets to making that statement over in chapter 6, he, he gives us all the explanation up to it so we kind of know what it means before he ever writes it down. But, but tonight we're going to stay here in, in chapter 5. Chapter 5 teaches us a lot about the, the how and the why of sin and, and about the penalty, but it teaches us about salvation through the gift. Of course, Jesus Christ, beginning in verse number 13, it says, For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense one of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. Boy, I sure thought somebody would get that right there and say amen or thank you, Jesus, or something, since you're all one of the many's. Verse number 16, not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift, for judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came unto all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did abound much more. I changed them words up a little bit, but I was all caught up in that much more. So grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Father, thank you so 
much, God. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for never-ending grace, for never-ending mercy. Thank you for loving us in spite of us. Thank you for taking the time way back 2,000 years ago to sit down and handwrite us a love letter and deliver it over to 2020, LaGrange, Georgia, COVID-19, world standing on its head. Seemed like we're in the day literally when they call evil good and good evil, but you handed us a love letter that says, I'm still on the throne. I have everything under control. My grace is sufficient. It's all going to be okay. Just keep holding on. Just keep trusting. Just keep praying. Just keep the faith. Thank you, God. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for loving us in spite of us. We love you. We thank you and we praise you in the precious holy name of Jesus. Amen. So last week we read down to verse 15, but then in our study we left off at verse number 12. We left off with wherefore as by one man centered into the world and death by sin, so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. When we finished up, we were looking at the fact that sin still has consequences. I told you, we get to make choices. You can choose whether to sin or not to sin. You can choose to do right, choose wrong. We make choices to whether or not we sin, but we have no control over the consequences. There are consequences, but the penalty of sin, which is death, and that's not Hebrews 9, appointed unto man wants to die. That is death. The penalty of sin is the second death. That is that one of the judgment where people are cast into eternal damnation, the lake of fire, weeping and gnashing of teeth for all of eternity. That's the death. That is the penalty of sin. That penalty has been removed through the Lord Jesus Christ. Death, it tells us here, what was imputed because of sin. It was applied. It was put there because of sin. Righteousness is imputed by grace through Jesus Christ. Because of faith. Paul goes on in verse 13. We left off at 12 last week. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. When there is no published law, then there can be no crime. If there's not a published law forbidding something, because there, I should say because, but if there was not a written law, then sin would not be imputed. That, that's what it tells. Very, very, very simple. If there were no speed laws in the state, you could run 100 mile an hour right here down Hammett Road, and it would be okay. Some people do anyway. At least that's about what it looks like when you're trying to turn out up here. If there were no posted speed limits, it would be okay to run whatever you want to. But because they're posted... I'm fishing to let y'all know how very little attention I pay. Come on, Brother Bell. I think it's 45 here at the church, 35 when you get right up here, or is it 35 at the church? 45 at the church, 35 right up here, 45 till you get all, almost to the school. See, y'all don't pay no more attention to that than I do. <laughs> we only have to come from the stop sign up to the top of the hill, right? Who needs to look at speed limit signs? Because it's posted 45, if you exceed that, then you are breaking the law. And because that is the law, and the law is published, and there can be a penalty for exceeding what is there. But see, there's laws beyond that. If you were to come cut all those down because you didn't want to pay me any attention, and you kept them cut down, and there were no posted 45 miles per hour on that road, there's still laws in the state of Georgia. There's still laws that describe different road conditions that determine what a speed limit can be. There is no way that Hammett Road on the size road that it is, the width, the two lane, and the location and the housing, there's no way that they could ever exceed 55 miles per hour on that road 
un, under no circumstances. And that is published in Georgia law. Whether you know it or not doesn't change the fact. The fact is that the law is published. So if you break the law, then you can be punished. Where there is no published law, what he's saying is that sin was not imputed if it's not there. But because there are published laws, then there can be punishment for those that break it. So Paul says, because there is a law... Death was imputed immediately unto Adam and to all of his descendants, of which we are. Adam was only given one law in the beginning. Now, I say that because that's all the Word of God gives us. If there were other laws and the Lord didn't bother to tell us about it, they must have been unimportant because what he says, the only thing that we can see here is he has one thing that he can't do. He cannot eat of the fruit of the tree, of the forbidden tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That's the one law. That's the one thing that he has to keep, that that he can't break that law, but he broke that law, which means that he committed a sin. Therefore, death was imputed unto him immediately, and not only to him, but to all of mankind, because all of mankind is his descendants. So Paul writes that if the law were not posted, then sin wouldn't be imputed. Verse number 14, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of them that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. For if Through the offense of one, many be dead, much more the grace of God, and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. Are there many, are there any many's in the house? Anybody a many? Anybody a whosoever? We we looked at it on Sunday, so I'm not going to go there a lot, but we looked, sin was the crime, death was the penalty, the cross is the answer. Sin was the crime. Anybody listening? Death was the penalty, but the cross is the answer. Not was, not will be. The cross is always the answer. For as by one man's sin, which was Adam, death was imputed unto all men. But by one man's sacrifice, of course, Jesus Christ, the gift is offered unto whosoever will. Let him come. Thank God I'm a whosoever. Not a worthy soever, a whosoever. The gift is offered so that every man, just like Adam, has to make a choice. Adam was given a choice. Adam had to make a choice. Obey God, don't obey. It's the same choice you and I face. The same devil trying to pull on you is the same devil that, that tricked Eve. Is the same devil that caused Eve to hand it to Adam. It's the same Same devil, same choice, same obstacles, same things that you deal with. Adam had to make a choice, and he made his own choice. The difference is, and we had to leave off here last week, so I'm going to pick back up on it for just a minute. The difference is that Adam was made in the likeness and the similitude of God. Adam was made like God. If he didn't mess that up, he'll stay like God. As I told you last week, you and I were not made like God. We are made like Adam. He was given the ability to make a choice because God wanted mankind to love him by choice. He wanted mankind to choose him. He wants you and I to choose him today. Raise your hand if he forced you to become a child of God. Raise your hand if he forced you to become a Christian. Raise your hand if he held you at gunpoint and had somebody arrest you and threaten you if you did not become a Christian. He gave us a choice. It is by choice that we accepted the free gift of God. It is by choice, and that's what God 
wants from you and I. He wants a chosen relationship. So he gave Adam a choice. Adam was created on the right side of the law. Anybody follow that? He was created on the right side of the law. If he didn't choose sin, he would have stayed on that side of the law. But he made a choice. A bad choice, no doubt, but nonetheless, he made a choice. Now, everybody after Adam, all of us being his descendants, in the similitude and in the likeness of Adam, we too are given a free will. So we too have to make a choice just like the one that Adam had to make. The difference is that we started out on the opposite side of the law. Adam started out on the right side of the law. He started out on the good side, but he messed that up with sin. And sin, death was imputed, so we inherited death. So we start out on the other side of it. So everybody after him, so to speak, we're on the wrong side of the law. We're on the death side of the law. And the only way to get back on the right side of the law is through the gift that God offered to get us back. So where, where Adam's choice cost him... Our choice redeems us. Somebody go ahead and say, thank you, Jesus. I'm going to get excited all by myself. If ain't nobody like it, I've been studying it long enough. Adam made a choice, and the choice cost him which side of the law he was on. When you and I made a choice to trust Jesus Christ, it redeemed us and put us back on the side where Adam used to be. It removed death. It removed the penalty. It removed condemnation. It removed hell's fire. Who cares if I die in this life? All that does is puts me in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ for all of eternity, a place where he uses gold for asphalt to pave the streets. The worst thing that can happen to me is I get to go to a place called home. Amen? So through the obedience of Jesus Christ, Everything has been restored that Adam threw away. The gift of God releases the penalty of sin. God loved Adam. There's no mistake in that. There's no misunderstanding that. He made him in his own likeness, in his own image, in his own similitude. God loved Adam just like God loves you and I. God loves mankind. He is no respecter of persons. He's never loved anybody more than he loves you. Anybody find that hard to believe? Let me say that again. He has never loved anybody more than he loves you. He is no respecter of persons. When you look at the top of his list, your name is there along with everybody else's. There is no favoritism in God's eyes. So God loves mankind. Now, he had to impute judgment because he gave Adam a law and he gave him what the punishment would be. Adam broke the law. He sinned. So he had to impute the law, which was death, which he had already told Adam, this is what's going to happen if you eat of that fruit. But God loves you and I so much that he took his own son to make a way for us to get back to what Adam messed up. It's not like any of that was a surprise. Obviously, before the foundations of the world, I told you Sunday, the cross was already planned before the world was ever formed. God already knew where it would go, but he also knew how much he would love us and what he was going to do for us. So the, the way, of course, being Jesus Christ, it says, For if the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. God's gift, when it is received, must be received by free will, by choice. God's gift, when it is received, releases the penalty. We don't have to fear death anymore. When we started this chapter, I told you this chapter deals a lot with eternal security, and we spent kind of an introductory night, if you will. I don't go to bed worried about whether or not I'm going to die tonight and go to hell anymore. 
I grew up in that Pentecostal background. I grew up in that religion. I grew up being taught I could go to heaven on Monday and go to hell on Tuesday. I grew up in that garbage until I finally took time to take some time and study and learn the book and tell me that the blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient for all my sins. He ain't never going to take the blood off. He ain't never going to erase my name out of the book. He ain't never going to keep me out of the family. I'm a child of God, period. Do I make mistakes? Absolutely. Will we be punished? Will God deal with us for mistakes? Well, how many of you got kids? You deal with your children when they make mistakes? Anybody ever spanked the backside? No different, but he's not going to take it away because we have been released from the penalty of sin. We have been released from the blame. We have been released from the bondage of sin that held us. We are released. The penalty is no longer there. That's why we can rejoice and know that Jesus is our Lord and heaven is our home. Verse number 16, he goes on. Not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. Remember, justified never done it. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more the way we receive abundance and the grace of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all, all men, unto condem, men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. Now granted, I've told you before, we're not going through Romans doing a word study or we would be on one verse right here for about the next six months just trying to get through. This is kind of a highlighter, if you will. We're just kind of going through looking at the overall of what Paul says here because Paul is giving us a lot of information. Paul has given us a lot of things here to help us. He's given us the reason for the law. He's given us the penalty for breaking the law. And then he follows it up with the good news that God has released the bondage that the gift of God through the Lord Jesus Christ has removed the penalty that, that we were being held by. God made a way through the gift. Anybody thankful? I know it's Wednesday night, and I can't see your lips. I can't see or hear an amen. Y'all know I can't have here anyway, so they're going to have some head nodding or something if anybody's thankful for what Jesus has done for us. Verse number 19, as by one man's sin, disobedience, where many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. I like this part. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. God gave the law so that the guiltiness of sin would be completely obvious. That, that's to go back and say, well, there is no law, then sin couldn't be imputed. We have the law so we know the way. So there is no doubt when we make a mistake, anybody not understand that. There is no doubt when we break the law. There is no doubt when we sin. We know that because we have the Word of God to tell us those things. Now, he imputed punishment, but even more so, he manifested grace. He, he said, here's the penalty. This, this is an important part. Here's the penalty. Adam, you blew it. I told you. I told you not to do it. And you did it. Here is the penalty. And this will be the penalty for all man. But understand this part. But it is not my will. This is the penalty that is imputed unto all mankind. But this is not my will. 
This is just what, it is my will that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So it wasn't the will of God to send anybody to hell. It was that free choice. So it's not God's will, even for people today, people out there rioting, people looting, people, people trying to tear down, people trying to shut church doors. I don't know if y'all watched videos. A church got fined $5,000 for meeting Sunday morning a week ago in the morning and 5000 for meeting again that evening because all they did was met. They were socially distanced. They were wearing masks. They did everything the way they're supposed to. And, and somebody said, well, that's one more reason not to live in the state of California. I'm sorry, we'll probably review this again on Sunday morning. If you think that's going to stop in California, you are both naive and foolish. It, well, I don't have time to get off into politics. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. There's not one person out there doing one thing right now that the grace of God is not sufficient for. There's not one person out there saying one thing about God or one thing about the church or, or burning down buildings or cussing out police officers and telling them, I hope your whole family dies. There's not one person, there's not one ounce of sin that God's mercy is not sufficient to forgive and that God's grace is not sufficient to give them the same eternal life that he gave you and I. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Though, those who know who we were, those who know our past, know where we've been and, and what we've come from, and to see that God loves us in spite of us, and that on my worst day while committing my worst sin, that is the moment when God commendeth his love that, that Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. On the worst minute of my worst day, for those of us who can look back and see what our worst days look like, the love of God is hard to make sense of. The, the fact that God could love me, the fact that God could love us in, in spite of us, it is absolutely hard to understand so great a love. You've heard me say a lot of times, I would love to see this church full. Now that COVID-19 comes, I would love just to see the main level fill back up. I would love to see the church full. But I haven't changed my position at all. I don't want to see it full of bodies. I don't want to see it full of, of people from another church that got their feathers all ruffled up because the pastor didn't say something right. They got sick and he didn't call them. They couldn't come by the hospital and see them or something happened over here. Aunt Bessie had a hangnail and he didn't send them a message to check on them let them know everything was good. They got bent out of shape because the wrong person sang the wrong song on the wrong day and now they want to come down and hold somebody else's pew down. I'm sorry, ours are bolted to concrete. Go hold somebody else's. Ours ain't moving. They're there to stay. Just because somebody got ruffled up somewhere else, they don't have no reason to come hold these down. That's not what I want to see the church filled with. But for us to see the church filled the way I want it filled, we got to get to work because I want to see it filled with somebody that's passed out in a ditch right now. I want to see it filled with somebody that's throwing up drunk right now. I want to see it filled with somebody that's going to wake up with a hangover tomorrow morning right now. I want to see somebody that's doing a drug deal and buying their drugs to go shoot up here in about an hour Right now, I want to see the church filled with them because when God reaches down, whew, whew, when God reaches that far down and picks them up, they get it. They understand it. They understand how far down God reached. They understand how far he had to come to get me. 
They understand that that is a matchless grace. That is not understandable. That is a love beyond comprehension. Listen, I'm not, I'm not casting about those that grew up in church. I'm one of the ones that grew up in a church. I just run from it. I'm not casting stones at somebody that, that maybe grew up in church and, and maybe they got saved when they were small and they've served God their whole life and they've been in the ministry their whole life. I'm not casting a stone at that at all. I'm not saying that they don't understand what this book is teaching. I'm not saying that they're not truly thankful thankful for the grace of God. I'm not saying they're not truly thankful for the salvation of Jesus Christ, but I've talked about it before. Experience is a great teacher. Experience is the greatest teacher of life. My dad tried to teach me a lot of things to keep me from getting hurt, but I ended up getting hurt because I had to learn them the hard way. Experience is a great teacher. So, so for those who God reached down into the deepest, darkest depths of the nastiest places to, to pick up, they're the ones who have the greatest example of, of what an, a, a never-ending grace looks like. To know that God would reach that far down. They don't have to read about it. They lived it. They don't have to hear some. I told you, I've heard about your stories, and those are great, but nothing built my faith like my stories. I've heard about things somebody else has been through, but nothing has built my faith like the storms and the valleys I've walked through. It's the same. It's one thing to read about God's grace and to study about God's grace and to hear about God's grace. It's another thing to have lived that kind of grace. That God loved you through all that. And the fact that he even kept us alive long enough while we were living that way should have been killed a dozen times. And yet God kept us alive to get us to a point just to give us an opportunity to be saved. A never-ending grace. Now here's the beauty of it. It's not a limited grace. It's not a one-time grace. It's not limited in a way that, that one day somebody's going to get saved and they're going to use up the last ounce of grace and when they do, that'll be the end of it because the grace is gone. It'll never end. That's great for everybody out there that's still lost, but it's great for us too. God's grace for us will never end. Just because I got saved, I'm going to wind up getting fired over this one day, didn't mean I stopped sinning. It didn't mean I stopped thinking things I ought not think. It didn't mean I stopped making mistakes. God's grace is just as real today as it was back then. God's grace has forgiven me for sins that I ain't even got to yet that I didn't even know I was going to do. That, that is a never-ending grace. It's not a one-time thing. It just keeps on giving. That is the same grace that saved us is the same grace that will pick us up when we fall. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. Somebody in here has failed before. Somebody in here failed after they got saved. Somebody backslid, got back out there. God came back out there and got you and pulled you back in. It's the same grace that came and got you and brought you back that came out there and washed you and made you whole the first time. It never runs out. I read a story. I don't share a lot of things like this, but, but it goes great with this. As I was studying, I read something not too long ago. It was called Grace Be Unto You and Peace, Part 1. It was posted on December 19th, 2016. Here's what the first paragraph says. Grace be unto you and peace. Thus the book of Revelation begins. More like a Pauline epistle than the great apocalypse. Here's a book that deals primarily with judgment, but God begins it with grace. In this book, we see people getting what they deserve. Judgment after judgment from God whose patience is exhausted at last. 
the flood tides of his wrath, which have been dammed up since back at Calvary, are now released. The dams are burst, the pent-up oceans of his holy anger against sin and against the murder of his son pour out now in all their fury. But first, God speaks of his grace. God tells people that judgment in his strange, he tells people that judgment in his strange work that he would far rather offer them his grace. Grace, as the word is used in scripture, is the outpouring of God's unmerited kindness to sinners. The story went on, it talked about a young man, name was, was Sam Dun, Duncanon, I guess would be the way to pronounce that. The story says that Sam was a drunkard. It, it says that, that he was a poor man. I'll be honest, based on the description, it did everything but call him a bum. So it talks about this Sam, but Sam got saved. Thank you, Jesus. It says that Sam is not a very intelligent man. It says that he didn't have very many talents. So once again, it seems like from the story, they stopped short of saying that he may have had some type of mental challenges. He stayed at a place called Glasgow Missions. I took time to Google Glasgow Missions. I want to know what it was. It is part of the story. It says that Glasgow City Mission is a Christian charitable organization whose remit covers Glasgow, Scotland. It's dedicated to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and providing practical help and support to homeless and disadvantaged people. So this is the place where Sam stayed. The story says that Sam collected pictures and he collected poems. And his hobby or his habit, if you would, is to take a picture and match it to a poem. Something that describes what the picture is showing. And then put the two things together on cardboard. And then if ever somebody was down and out or somebody needed lifting up or somebody came through the ministry that was needing help, he would go and he would look through his pictures put together on cardboard and he would find one that would apply to give to that person to maybe bring some joy in their life, to try to lift their spirit, to make them feel good. So he put these things together to try to be a blessing to somebody else. One day somebody gave him a, a picture of Niagara Falls. It was beautiful. He was amazed at all the water, how it just rushed over the falls and it just never ended in fury and the, all of the smoke and the mist that comes up from down at the bottom of the falls. And he looked and he looked for a poem. He looked everywhere, but he couldn't find it. One day D.L. Moody came to Glasgow Mission. He had a gentleman with him that sang a song. And when he sang the song... Sam heard it, and he said, that's the words. That's the words that goes with my picture of Niagara Falls. Here was the words. Have you on the Lord believed? Still, there's more to follow. Of his grace, have you received? Still, there's more to follow. Of the grace the Father shows? Still, there's more to follow. Freely, he his grace bestows. Still, there's more to follow. More and more and more and more. Always more to follow. Oh, his matchless, boundless love. Still, there's more to follow. Sam took the words and he put them with that picture of Niagara Falls. And he gave this picture, poem, assembly on the cardboard. He gave it a title, 
more to follow. Well, as I was reading the story, it, it made me think a lot more in, in my life. I don't call it more to follow, but that may become a new part of my prayer life. Many times a day as I'm thanking God, I, I like to thank God for his never-ending grace. I, I like to, to thank God over and over that, that there's a grace beyond measure. Anybody else get that? Not, not just for you. Not, not just for them. Not, not just for the world. Not, not just for Abraham and, and David and Isaac. For me. For me. There is a immeasurable grace. There, there is no way to comprehend it. There is nothing great enough to measure the grace that God has for me. So for me, my term is always, thank you God for grace beyond measure. I may have to adopt more to follow because God didn't stop giving you and I grace today. This isn't the last Wednesday night service where grace ends. He didn't stop giving us grace at the last mistake we made. There's more to follow. Tomorrow morning when we get up, grace will abound. Tomorrow at work, grace will abound. Tomorrow when you think something you shouldn't have, grace will abound. Tomorrow when you're going through stuff and you can't hold yourself up, grace will abound. Tomorrow night when families like Lisa Pike and Rich Pike and they're standing around and, and she's standing there honestly knocking at death's door. If God don't do something that God can, I pray that God will. But God needs to if it's going to change. Grace abounds. Grace gives us strength to stand up when we ought not have the strength to stand. Grace gives you strength to smile when you have nothing on this planet to smile about. Grace is how people see Christ in us and Christ through us. It is a smile when it makes no sense to smile. It is joy in a COVID-19 when the rest of the world is standing on their head. It is grace that never ends. There's more to follow. What God gave you yesterday is still there today. I thought about that picture of the Niagara Falls. Man, I even started to send Frida a video, but it was a little long, and it showed some of the town and stuff that I didn't need to see, but it was a, a video of the falls. Man, how impressive. How, not just the Horseshoe Falls, but even you skip over here to the other great falls and all the, the water just mighty and rushing, and it's just constant, and, and, and that's what God's grace on my life looks like. It's just this rushing fall that, that never ends. And at the bottom where the grace lands, it makes a big mist around me that's always there. I'm surrounded by His grace. The article goes on. But in the article, it talks about the multitude that will be saved. It doesn't explain all this. I'm just going to read this, but I, I want to make sure you understand before I read it. There's a multitude. After the seven-year tribulation period, we get into the thousand-year millennial reign. The Bible talks about those that are saved being innumerable as the sands of the seashore innumerable. There's going to be a countless number of people come out of that thousand-year millennial reign saved. That's what the, the two witnesses about and, and the 144,000 of, of, of the witnesses that God will send. That is to tell about Jesus Christ. And that's what he's referring to here in this next paragraph of this story. He says, such indeed is the boundless grace of God. Grace be unto you. Once again, he's referring back to the beginning what God is, is giving grace be unto you. Before he talks about the damnation of hell and those that are eternally condemned, he says grace to you. 
Grace to defy the devil to the very end. Grace to win souls from beneath the very throne of the beast. Grace poured out upon the two witnesses, superabundantly upon the 144,000 witnesses, until the converse of the judgment aid come to promise to outnumber all those of history. Yet more grace. Grace to send an angel with the everlasting gospel to win still more souls before the bowls of wrath are outpoured in Revelation 14. Indeed, so great is God's desire for lost people to be saved right down to the last possible moment that he reduces the angel's message here to the lowest possible terms. Here is no elaborate New Testament theology. Here is no demand for good works of any kind. It is the gospel in its simplest, most uh, universal beliefs available to all people everywhere based on the evidence of creation and science. There will be no time to discuss the profound theology of the cross. Besides, the prerogative preaching of Christ and him crucified is not given to angels, but to humans. That's our job to be telling people about Christ. With judgment fires already poised on high and about to descend, there are still untold millions so an angel is sent. He calls for the barest essentials of belief that God can accept. And one last burning call is given from heaven. Such is our God, a God of matchless grace. I read that and I couldn't help but think about the days of Noah standing at the ark. Saying, come, it's going to start raining. Come on, get in. It's the last call. It's the last chance. All the way up to the end, God never stopped sending grace. God never stopped giving grace. There's not one person that could not at any moment have walked up that plank and got on that ship. God was fully extending grace. There's never a time until it's all over. Because of Calvary, we come to Jesus, we come to God through Christ. It says that where sin abounded... Ooh, I'm going to have to stop. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Remember we looked at those two words there in verse number 9 last week. Much more. The, the work of Jesus Christ did much more than just restore what Adam had lost. Remember, remember what was said last week. If you weren't here, I'll, I'll do it again real quick. But had, had Adam not sinned and nobody else sinned and nobody messed it up and it got here today, we would be the sons of Adam. But because of what Christ did much more, we are now the sons of God. Whew. We are now joint heirs with Jesus Christ in the kingdom of the Almighty. He did much more. Paul says salvation is by grace, and, and the grace is so much greater than our sins. He goes on in verse 21. I'll read it so we can pick up chapter 6, Lord willing, next week. He says that sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life that is by Jesus Christ our Lord. The word sovereign, we use sovereign a lot talking about God and his mighty, but the word sovereign means supreme in power. It is possessing supreme dominion. It is supreme or superior to all others. Sin hath reigned unto death, so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. That is the absolute sovereignty. That is the supremacy of grace. There is nothing greater than God's amazing grace. There is nothing that we can ever do. No sin, no fault, no failure, no mistake. There is nothing that we can do that is more powerful than God's grace. Somebody ought to say, thank you, Jesus, for loving me anyway. Well... 
Lord willing, we'll try to get to chapter 6 next week. He goes on. Y'all know this isn't like he stopped and wrote another letter later. This just happens to be where the translators made a break in chapters. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Lord willing, we'll, we'll pick up there at chapter 6 next week. God, thank you so much for being so incredibly good. God, if we were to thank you with every living breath we had left, for grace, we would never say thank you enough, God. Thank you for loving us in spite of us. And God, I pray you take us and make us usable vessels, Father. I thank you for loving us, for working in us, for changing us to trying to make us into something more like Jesus Christ. But God, I pray you'd use us for a light in this dark world, God. I pray you'd let people see Christ in us, that people might be drawn to, Lord, not to the church, but to you, Father, that they might be drawn to Christ through us, God. Make us usable, Lord. Let us be an example in this time. Let us have that smile when it makes no reason, God. I pray you give us the boldness and all that we need to stand up and say, Thus saith the Lord, God. May we continue to call sin, sin. Continue to tell everybody that there is a grace that is greater than your sin. And that grace loves you and forgives you, God. Help us, Father, to reach to that one in the ditch, God. To that one that is farthest from you, God. I pray you'd use us to reach out to them that a multitude of souls might be saved. Lord, we love you. You've been good to us, Lord. I pray for these in here tonight, Lord, for all the children on the campus. I pray you put a hedge about them, God. I pray you protect this church during this, this time of COVID-19. Seems every week somebody comes to this church infected that they didn't get here. Yet every week you've protected us, God, that we've not seen it here. I ask you to keep that hedge of protection about this place, God. Lord, I pray you bless the, the homes and the families, the lives of everybody present, God. Help us to be pleasing to you. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.